Our scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 19. We'll be reading actually verses 1 through 18, but considering the verses as they go to the end of the chapter, but reading verses 1 to 18, just a little context. This is about the prophet Elijah. And Elijah was trying to bring God's people back to faithfulness, to devotion to the Lord. They had turned away and were worshiping idols. And only just prior to what we're going to read, there had been a contest between God and the prophets of Baal, worshiping the Baal God, a fertility religion in those days. And God had given Elijah a great triumph, a great victory, in which God was shown to be God and Baal and his prophets shown to be false. It's after this great event, this great victory, we get these words from uh, 1 Kings. And I should have done this earlier, but in case uh, you need a page reference... I always think it's appropriate to do that. 354 in the Bible here. Ahab, he's the villain. Ahab told Jezebel, that's his wife, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword that is, the prophets of Baal. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake breaked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose, and he ate and drank, and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, 
but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him It said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place, and the one who escapes from the sword of Haziel shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal in every mouth that has not kissed him. Thus our reading from God's holy word. We ask that he bless his holy word to us. Well, here we find wilting faith. One of the hobbies in my old age I took up was gardening. As a teenager, I'd have nothing to do with that. As a young man, I'd have nothing to do with that. I didn't consider that masculine. In my old age, though, I don't care. (laughs) And besides, it's hard to find good pepper plants, and tomatoes are always better homegrown and all that. So I took up gardening, but one thing I've noticed with it is you do have to keep it watered. You can't always rely on the rain, and if plants are neglected for a while, they literally wilt. And you come back from vacation, and the leaves are shriveled, and it looks, and sometimes it's the case, these plants are on their very last (laughs) moments, days of survival. Our faith can be wilting, too. We can go through periods of life in which we're buoyant and happy and robust and assured and confident and life is great and God is good and other times where we feel shriveled, beaten, defeated, everything's sour. We get slumped and downcast and our faith wilts. happens to pastors. Pastors can sometimes put on a a portrait of buoyancy, of vitality, but inside they're hurting, They're, they're, they're wilted. It happens to all Christians. It happens to one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament who had just been God's instrument in a great contest. Is God God or are the Baals God? And God came through, and the Baal and his followers were defeated. It's looking great for kingdom of God now. Things are on an upswing. Now we can make some progress 
it's going to get better now. But it doesn't. That's where we started the reading. Ahab, who's the king there, with his wife Jezebel serving these false gods. Ahab had witnessed all of this. The great mighty hand of God doing mighty work. He comes back and tells his wife Jezebel all that Elijah had done. All. How even the prophets of Baal had been killed by the sword. There, that unbelief is on the decline. Faith is on the incline. And yet, her reply is all it takes to wilt faith. We're going to look at that this morning. Her, this, this wilting faith comes because it faces new hard-heartedness, new obstacles, new, new trials, new problems. And then how... Elijah, on his journey fleeing, finally comes to Sinai, that, or Horeb, that's where God gave the Ten Commandments. That's the marching orders spot. He goes all the way back to, he's reversing all the progress. I, we took you from Sinai, the wilderness, and gave you promised land, and now he's fleeing promised land back to Sinai, and wants, well, he puts in his resignation. I quit. That's how wilted his faith is. I'm done. Okay? No more. And yet, how wilting faith meets a faithful God. And I want us to hear that this morning, because it's true for all of us, each of us, individually, personally. It's true for us as a church. Wherever we feel wilted, defeated, (laughs) struggling, hang on. Don't give up. God, God has all that we need. Trust him. Wait for him. What happens here? Well, I'll tell you what happens. Ahab tells Jezebel all that Elijah had done, this great event on Mount Carmel. And Jezebel sent a message to Elijah. She hears all this. Oh, dear, you should have seen it. His eyes as big as saucers. His God is God. I mean, our prophets, they prayed. They slashed themselves. They wreathed. They made a spectacle. Their bloodshed, as they called on the bells to, 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 to send fire and nothing, nothing, nothing. And then Elijah has one little prayer and fire consumes all of this. And and, and he gave orders, and now the, the prophets of Baal who were spreading this false religion, they're gone. And, and, and it was, remember, we're having this drought because he, he had prayed to his God that there would, wouldn't be rain for some three and a half years now. And one little word, and it's, it's raining. His God is God. Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, what, congratulations? So may the gods do to me and more if I don't make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow, if you're not dead. His faith meets unbelievable unbelief. 
He confronts hard-heartedness in the face of divine miracle. Where God has shown himself to be wonderful and God and all the might and the power, her unbelief has the spine of unbelief. I once heard someone say, she's the evil queen and the queen of evil. Yes, indeed. And he's afraid and he runs for his life. That's what we're told there. As soon as he gets made, he was afraid. Verse 3, he arose. He ran for his life. It says he went to Beersheba. In, in Bible geography, that means he headed south, quite far south. And he drops his servant there, and he keeps heading south, keeps going. Now, imagine working out for an hour. You know, you jog for an hour, and it's hot. And it's, uh, you know, you, you, after a while you get thirsty, you get hungry. Now imagine doing that all day long in a panic, running, jogging, walking fast, looking over your shoulder, running, jogging, walking fast. You're famished. You're, you're spe- that's what happens to him. He went a day's journey all day long. He's traveling in the wilderness through desert wasteland, basically, and he came and sat down under a broom tree for some shade. And he asks God that he might die. Talk about wilting faith. Because in the face of a great victory, what came next is not what you expect. As a young man, when I made profession of faith at 19 years of age, you know, finally really committed to the faith, wasn't always very committed, kind of wandering, you know, save me, Lord, but don't be Lord of my life. But yes, Lord, be Lord of my life. And now... Now that I'm really committed to Jesus, it's going to be easier now, right? Life will all tumble out the way it's supposed to. No, new temptations are thrown in my path. New obstacles. Different things that bring a different kind of heartbreak and wounding. Yes, you belong to Jesus. No, it's not easy ever after. And that's what Elijah finds. And I don't know what wilts your faith or what challenges you or what discourages you. The psalmists can help us with these things. Why do the wicked flourish and the faithful fail? Why do unbelievers seem to enjoy an easy life and believers a difficult one? Why is my marriage still such a struggle? Why does my child have this kind of problem? Why are our financials, our finances so tight? Why do movers and shakers and big wigs who basically do evil and act evil, why do they get away with it with their schemes and intrigue and baloney? God, don't you see? You see, Elijah experiences something like this, and now his life is literally on the line. They're after his life. He flees for his life. 
in fear and is physically spent. And what happens next is an angel appears to help him. I've always found this curious. To help him run away. He finds there some cake that's been cooked over stones and a jug of water. And he's told to rise and eat. The journey's too hard for you. And he does so and he falls asleep again. He's utterly exhausted. And again, the angel comes, arise and eat for the journey's too great for you. And he does so. And we're told in the provision of that food... You get one of these 40 days, 40 night events in the Bible. Those are, anytime you get to a 40 day, 40 night event, that's important stuff in the Bible. 40 days, 40 nights with the Noahic flood, right? And then uh, with Moses was 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain waiting for God to reveal himself. And now this is where Elijah's heading back to. He's given this miracle food, if you wish, so that he can make his way all the way back, reversing the exodus, reversing uh, he, he himself, the prophetic word in the land of God's people. He flees the land and goes back where the marching orders were first issued. And God gives him this provision because God knows the state of his servant And he knows his wilting faith. He knows yours. He knows mine. It's altogether comforting to know that God knows us and still loves us. That God knows our weaknesses, and yeah, I'm not surprised. That God knows what buttons push us and defeat us. Uh, yeah, I know you're made that way. I still choose you. And he also knows how Elijah's faith has wilted, how he's afraid, how he's running for his life. He feels like he's used up. He would rather die than continue. And he gives him this food in order to run back to Sinai. All because of this woman who had the spine of unbelief is unimpressed with God's work of power. We need to face facts where there's progress, the devil's going to counterattack with regress. Where there's a soul saved, the devil will go about as a roaring lion seeking what soul he can devour. Where there's a young person making a profession of faith, don't be surprised that the devil puts new paths of temptation in that person's life. Where there's an answer to prayer, the devil will go on the attack and say, looky, looky at what prayers haven't been answered. He ever wants to defeat us, deflate us, discourage us, And even Jesus said, hey, if you're going to follow me, it's cross time. Take up one and come follow. And don't forget what cross-bearing meant in the ancient world. When you took up the cross, you took up an instrument to your own death. You were marching to your own crucifixion. Take up a cross 
and get ready to march to the crucifixion of your old self, your old life, your own habit, your old habits, your own desires. You're going to die to stuff. It's going to hurt. But keep trusting. Elijah's learning something of this as well. You know, there's a lot of Christians throughout the world that, especially in different places, that don't know the privilege of freedom of religion, or they don't even live in a land of abundance like our own, or where the Christian faith is such a minority, it's just quite unpopular to announce yourself. They, they view the Christian life not through a lens of, I belong to you, Jesus, now I should be privileged and blessed and everything should be easy and fine, because that's never been their life. But we're kind of taught that a little bit. If the political winds shift in menacing ways, we feel like life is unraveling at the seams. We don't have the right movers and shakers. You know, we, we, we look to comfort and finances to be an ever-present help in times of trouble. It's so easy for us to get our eyes off the Lord and on to what we can do and finesse and orchestrate. And So what makes your faith wilt? I know for a time when I was younger, feeling morally old-fashioned, out of step, I didn't want to admit it, but that's how I would feel sometimes. Elijah is facing a death sentence. I don't know how you've suffered for Jesus, and I know within different families we can suffer for Jesus, siding with him. But not many of us suffer for Jesus under the threat of death. So I'm not trying to make light of what is happening to Elijah, but what Elijah's doing is not commendable. He is God's prophetic voice in the land. He is God's prophet and instrument. He is God's servant to do God's will. He is this one that God has chosen and commissioned for this task. And he's putting in his resignation. And that's what happens when he arrives at Sinai under the strength of this food. He came to a cave and lodged in it, just like Moses, as all reminds us of Moses. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? This isn't the the fight's that way, not this way. The fight's over there in promised land, not in an, an abandoned desert mountain cave. What are you doing here? Well, he's rehearsed his speech. <laughs> he he has his 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 reasons with grounds. I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek to take away my life. Your people are unfaithful. They're not faithful. I can't pastor these people. I can't get it done. 
Even after this Mount Carmel thing, they just want to kill me. And it, it's all a mess. I can, I'm not up to any of this. God says, go stand out in front of the cave there. The Lord's going to pass by. What happens? First comes this wind, not just any wind, tornadic wind. Breaking rocks apart wind. Miracle wind, frightening wind, Sinai wind. But God wasn't in the wind. Earthquake. A mountain shaking. Things tumbling. Something most frightening. The earth shaking. God wasn't in the earthquake. Fire. At Sinai, the law given with earthquake and fire and smoke and all this stuff. Power of God. God wasn't in the fire. And then the sound of silence. A whisper, a silent sound. And there God was. That's why he wraps his head in the shroud. He's in God's knees. In the holiness and the shame of it all, he wraps his head with his cloak and goes out and stands at the mouth of the cave. And God asks him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? See, the way we size it up, when our faith confronts the power of unbelief, and the things the devil does in our lives to discourage us and make our faith wilt. When we look at the contest of the church out there trying to be God's people in a world and the hard-hearted unbelief opposing the church and the good cause of Christ, and we see it in all kinds of ways, we think to ourselves, what must God do to win? Winds, tornadic winds, judgment, Show them, Lord. Devour them, Lord. Pound them, Lord. God wasn't in the wind. Earthquake the cities. Show these belligerent cities what's for. Send catastrophe upon them. They'll be humble then. God wasn't in the earthquake. And fire. Devour them. Cook them. God wasn't there, but in a whisper. Do you like that answer? God's whisper? I'll give you a whisper. Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I mean, go talk, speak, speak for you, and you're going to build the church without wind and earthquake and fire, but the soft wind of the Spirit, the whisperer, yes. Yes.
God was in the whisper. Isn't his whisper strong enough to change your heart? Hasn't it? In your wilting faith, hasn't he come to your aid with his promises, his good word, and said, you're mine? I enfold you. You're my son. You're my daughter. Did he have to devour you, crush you, burn you up? Or whisper to you in your heart? That's where he is. Wilting faith needs soft whispers of God. He knows what we are. He knows how we're discouraged. He knows we want to go A-W-O-L. He knows sometimes even as Christians we just want to quit. We want to check out. He knows that we want to take matters into our own own hands. Peter grabbed the sword and whacked off the servant's ear. You're not going to take Jesus. I'm ready to fight. Put your sword away, Peter. The church isn't going to be built by your ability to wield a sword of steel. I'm going to call you to wield the sword of the Spirit, a whisper. That's still how he's building his church. That's still what we need from God. What are you doing here, Elijah? You're my prophet there. He takes his broken servant and shows him that it's not miracles on Mount Carmel that will finally build kingdom of God. It's not that miracles will melt unbelief. Jesus performed many of them, and it produced hardness of heart. What he did instead is he sent his church out with his word, empowered by a different wind, the wind of the Spirit, to blow into people's lives and to breathe the breath of life into dead souls. And so often that's just a quiet time in one's own room with their own thoughts, meditating on a sermon or a word of witness or a conversation where they've heard the good message of God's love. A whisper. You see, Elijah fears that God's not up to the task and God has to tell them, tell him, well, you're just wrong. (laughs) Sorry, Elijah, you're just wrong. I recommission you. And here we see how a wilting faith meets new beginnings or meets a new commission because God orchestrates new beginnings. What what is he told? It's curious because it's anticlimactic. I bet even when we were reading it, we were kind of like, huh, what? This isn't very exciting. God said, go return you're on your way through the wilderness of Nebraska's more Bible geography now. That means he has to go all the way up out from Sinai, all the way up into Promised Land, 
all through the southern region, all the way up through the Judah that's part of the southern, all the way up through Israel, that's the northern part, and then all the way past that up to the city of Damascus, northern, Syrians. Huh? Yep. And when you get there, what? Preach a mighty sermon and there's great revival. No, it's not wind or earthquake or fire. This is what he gets to do. It's a real yawner. Anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. What? Oh, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, anoint him to be king over Israel. Oh. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahola, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. You have been my servant. I've used you well. You've been faithful. Your faith is, is, is wilting. You're spent. I do lay out days and number them. I have one to take your mantle, Elisha. And he basically reminds him that with a change of political leadership, everything's going to be turned upside down in ways he could never orchestrate, calculate, figure out. God's going to do things through even secular, non-believing leaders to make his cause go forward. Now pause and think about that one. We look at life and the world and the church and it's easy for the church to get sucked in to put her hope and trust in political outcomes. And God often can use political outcomes for good reasons, to bring justice in the land and, and to help his church in the cause of Christ. He can use military outcomes to, to bring evil, keep it at bay, open doors for... Yes, yes, yes. God can also allow sad outcomes to punish a nation and a people. He can allow wicked people with their armies to inflict misery because sometimes that's the only time we get finally on our knees to ask for help. The thing is, though, don't try to calculate and figure it out. Elijah couldn't. We can't. We labor to do what's right in his eyes. We pray for righteousness politically in every other way. But we don't put our hope in that. We put our hope in God. We each have wilting faith, at least some of the time. Some of you have old wounds in your heart that just make you bleed all the time. Some of you have an ache in your soul that just won't go away and you keep waiting for God. Some of you are angry or maybe even a little disappointed in God and you don't want to admit it, but you're not on good terms. You feel like God's been unfair because he hasn't made this happen on this timetable or in a way you can see that it's going to turn out well. And you question his goodness. 
Elijah saw these things and ran away and wanted to quit. I've been faithful, and now they're trying to kill me, and I'm just done. And God says, no, you aren't. The battle's that way. The church is still called to make disciples of the nations. The church is still equipped now with the wind of the Spirit, to do what we can't do. And by the way, Elijah, while you look at it and the glass is empty, there's 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. It's not as bad as you think. I know exactly what I'm doing. And one more thing, church. There's only ever been one who is the only one left. And that was Jesus. Where he hung on a cross, abandoned, forsaken, all alone, so that we would never be. Bore all the penalty of our sins so that God would never treat us after our sins. Who's done all that we need and made us God's children and heirs, co-heirs with him of all the inheritance of kingdom come. Because he hung there and died there as the only one left. Elijah wasn't the only one left, and neither are we. We're in him. On this Mother's Day, which can be a day of great celebration, a day of sober reflection, a day of hurtful contemplation, it can be a lot of things to different people. May we see that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us, who's faithful in all circumstances, who the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. Believe it. It won't prevail against you. Because Jesus promises. Amen. Shall we pray? Lord, Comfort us with your word. Comfort us with your promises. Comfort us with our Savior who was left alone so that we would ever have you in fellowship and our Lord and our guide, our Savior. Grant us this and fortify our wilting faith wherever it is for whatever reason it is. Grant this, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.